Hello and welcome to another episode of Cybertech Talks, a podcast where we bring cybersecurity experts together for a conversation. In this episode, we hear from Zaza Handy and Jan-Erik Herting about BitLocker ransomware prevention, detection and response. Zaza works as a senior digital forensics and incident response consultant at NTT. She is a certified malware reverse engineer and has over 15 years of experience in cybersecurity and incident response. Jan Eric is a senior digital forensics and incident response consultant at NTT also, and has worked as a threat analyst for more than 10 years. He specializes in IR, intrusion forensics, and malware analysis. Zaza and Jan Eric discuss ransomware trends, the re-emerging threat of BitLocker facilitated ransom, and how to prevent, detect, and respond to a BitLocker ransomware attack. We hope you enjoy the episode. Well, 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 Jan, it's good to have you here again. I mean, it's, there's a lot going on this week, Jan, and um, there's something that is trending now. C- can you let us know? Well, you know, what do you know, Jan? What do you know? So, yeah, currently we, we see um, uh, the re-emerging threat of um, BitLocker ransomware where the, the ransomware is actually using the Microsoft built-in BitLocker feature to carry out the encryption of a typical ransomware attack. So what is BitLocker? It's just the encryption tool from Microsoft for complete hard disk encryption. Oh, wow. Have you ever locked yourself out of your house before, out of your room? I have. I have locked myself out of my room many times when I was in the university. And it's not a good idea, but this is serious. Like your tool that is supposed to protect you turns out to be your worst nightmare on a Monday or a Friday morning. So as, as I have, we've, we've tackled this a, lot, a number of times in our team. And then uh, as you have seen from the last incident we worked on, it's the same old attack kill chain, the same playbook. They are still abusing the vulnerabilities that clients will not patch. Not often that we see, we don't see phishing as much as we see uh, exploits of vulnerabilities for this. I mean, recently you, we, the one we worked on was exploiting the proxy shell on Exchange server. And then just yesterday we heard about the Mitel uh, attack, uh, leverage attack vulnerability that Mitel have already advertised and published a patch for. So it's the same old thing, but why would an attacker use ransom, BitLocker ransomware rather than, you know, the usual? Actually, the, the attacker has multiple advantages from using the BitLocker as an encryption part. So first, he's using built-in security tools from Microsoft, so he doesn't need to place any additional software there. And he can also um, encrypt the full, the full disk um, instead of just uh, certain file extensions. And just to remind our users, I think, I believe that BitLocker is supposed to be an offline security mechanism. So that, you know, if you are traveling and your laptop gets stolen or, or, or you lose it or you forget it at an airport, somebody gets hold of that laptop, they're not able to see the information on it. That's what it's meant for. So is there really any use for production servers to have BitLocker enabled on them? I wouldn't think so because if it's in the cloud, then what's the point? Except when you are shipping the server to another site or if you are decommissioning the server, what do you think? Exactly. There's only the, the, the reason if you have a shared data center 
uh, or if you decommission the server to have a, a full disk encryption on, on servers. So it's normally not used. Another big reason is also it probably bypass most of the um, detection methods known to, to the state. Um, so it's a powerful evasion technique to uh, get around uh, security controls. Aha, obviously, my, I mean, if it's BitLocker and it's Microsoft, even administrators ignore IP addresses if it says it's Microsoft. Never mind a known tool developed by Microsoft to protect your system. So no, nobody will want to block that. But I, I, we believe when we talk about detection and prevention, if you're not using BitLocker, why you shouldn't enable it? Although we'll talk about that later when it comes to if someone has the keys to the kingdom, they can do whatever they want. But the other thing I also believe is driving this is the profit margin. I mean, if there is ransomware as a service and they have to buy, you know, the tool or the ransomware itself and share the profit with whoever developed the malware, that reduces their profit margin. This this is free. They can use it, script it up, and it's running, and it's quite it's quite effective. So. And you know that BitLocker, unlike the other ransomware that we respond to, you, you are able to access the system. It's just like when we do reverse engineering, it tells you which, uh, which extension, no file extension, which type of file is going to be targeting, usually Microsoft Word, PowerPoint, you know, PDF files and the like. But this locks you out, just encrypts everything Throw away, throws away the key. Not even, it's even before Windows loads, so it locks the entire door. I mean, one would say that it's more like a powerful anti-forensic mechanism for the attackers, because a, a responder, an incident, a forensic person may not even be able to, or the client may not even be able to access the system to pull logs from there for analysis or to identify, to image the system, except if they have a way of actively collecting logs as things are happening you may find out that when this happens you 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 are told for investigation the only way here is like you said if they collect the logs centrally the the investigation could still take place so another big big issue is they don't have to deploy a an, an special ransomware which could be detected in the in the last yeah. step of the attack by uh, behavioral analysis so because uh, yeah, the disk encryption is like we said in the introduction not uncommon if you have if you use BitLocker in your environment. Exactly, I, I totally agree with you. It's uh, as well, you know, it's all ransomware attacks are post-compromise attacks. So it doesn't have to wait to use the customized ransomware to do this because it's already there. We've talked about this before, uh, you know, when we were chatting the other day, if you remember, and I was, I was saying that mostly it's PowerShell, WMI type attack that we're seeing now, whereby the attackers use scripts to launch an attack at that final stage. I don't know, have you seen that in some of your investigation? Yeah, of course, the, the, the attacker used still for, for lateral movement, he still used uh, old techniques like um, WMI uh, and yeah, channel task. Yes, with PowerShell, we just see enable BitLock. I mean, with these things, you can 
PowerShell is a very powerful tool. If, if the BitLocker is not enabled, they can enable it. If it's already enabled and running, because it will not enable BitLocker again, they will now focus on getting that recovery key changed so that they can effectively, you know, enforce the ransom. So talk about the ransom notes now. We found out, we, 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 we discovered multiple times that this registry key, HK Local Machine, uh, Software Policies, Microsoft FBE, under there, the attackers define the ransom notes there under the value for recovery key message and the recovery key message source. So it's not like your typical ransomware where they have the HTML file or the test file or they drop it on every folder. It's just at the door there, but they use the registry key to configure what they want. And that registry key is one, you know, object that, you know, customers, clients can monitor for changes or even creation of these additional keys in that environment to, to detect early detection is important. Although if you haven't detected PowerShell dancing and WMI, you know, jumping around, credentials moving, then it's probably too late at this stage. So I would say the key management for this is really straightforward for the attacker. What do you think? You know, can you, do you remember, can you tell our clients just some of the examples we have seen how attacker was able to take away the key from the environment? Obviously before Windows starts, uh, remember the key can, Microsoft designed it so that the key cannot be held in memory for any reason at all before the, the, the authentication is completed. In, in recent attacks, we saw that the key was um, actually st stolen by a machine which connected via a custom installed VPN software from inside the, um, the client's environment. So the, the attacker actually installed the VPN software, connected his uh, attacker virtual machine inside the client network and copied the keys there before then uh, rebooting the machines to finish the encryption. This is where the VPN, uh, software security, VPN security, SMB security is very important. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, the, some of the ones we've seen, the attacker will stage an area where they will drop uh, the key, the recovery key for, for the BitLocker, not the password, the recovery key for the BitLocker, and then from there, move it. Let's say there was um, an opportunity where the continuous packet capture, maybe they could have captured something, but I find out that organizations who are able to go the extra length to identify when VPN software is installed, to identify when data is being moved out or copied out, they don't usually have this type of incident. Well, I'm not criticizing here, by the way, <laughs> just talking. Okay, so. One thing I have noticed that is very important, this is where when we talk about the detection is crucial. Before BitLocker can lock any drive, it has to reboot the system. You have to reboot the operating system before it will start encrypting. So what does that say? If you are able to detect, there are when we talk about the event logs linked to this, if you are able to detect it before, that something that you have a message, we normally get that message that an attacker, not an attacker, sorry, that uh, an encryption is about to happen when the machine reboots. Obviously, users don't tend to see such things when they pop up. But the attacker will do it in such a way that 
it will be automated. The, the machine will automatically reboot. So when you get several machines rebooting all at once without plan, suspect something like this may be going on. Yeah. Also important to mention here the the minimum uh, requirements the attacker needs is he needs to have local admin access on the machines to be able to carry out this kind of attack to activate BitLocker and um, to to actually start the encryption. So this is a very important part. Yes. So I think uh, it's more like most of the ones you've seen, they are mainly automated using PowerShell scripts, command line scripts like uh, bad files and WMI. Only on one occasion, somebody used RDP to log in because it was targeted. They just targeted that one application server for the BitLocker encryption. So if um, if you look at what is going on now, what would we say to our admin? Where do we start from? Is it the prevention or the detection or the response? I would go with prevention, really, isn't it? I mean, prevention is always better than cure. So what would you say to our client, Jan, regarding our customers or the listeners, regarding preventing this type of attack? So to, to prevent this type of attack, it's always best to start as early in the kill chain as possible. So the best thing is to don't have an attack. <laughs> don't get compromised. Exactly. D don't have um, don't have security leaks opened. Don't have uh, leak firewalls rules which expose systems which ne don't necessarily need to be exposed to the internet. Um, have them always patched with zero days. So they are not vulnerable anymore. Vulnerability. The vulnerability aspect of it is very crucial because that's what we mostly see. I mean, there is a lot of uh, process share vulnerability out there for in-house managed Excel and even VPN vulnerability. I'm not going to name the vendors, but if you do have these uh, applications, these vulnerabilities in your environment, please try and fix them because it's the only way, really, to prevent this happening. And credential security, Jan, I mean, what more can we say about that? No matter how much we talk about prevention and detection and response, or don't do that, don't do that, if somebody has the credentials for the environment, that's it, really. For this attack, the attacker needs to have local admin rights on the system, the individual systems, you know? So... You remember, yeah, and one that we worked on the other, I think it was about roughly four weeks ago, where they even made an effort, they were using labs to make sure that they don't have, they don't use the same network and, uh, and local admin accounts in the environment, but they still got this. How did that even happen? Because they have credentials. And then one thing we need to mention again is the double extortion, Yan. Remember, we're not just talking about the encryption now. Oftentimes, they take away the data before they encrypt. So, if you don't want to, if you don't want to be held to ransom for your data that is out there, if you're, you're gonna shed tears or feel embarrassed by whatever is going to be exposed, get a data loss prevention control in place. The one that can handle cloud and web-based upload. Because that's what we usually see. So, I would say, at the end of the day, the most crucial thing here is don't let the attack start, as, as Jan has said, and do not uh, 
allow your credentials to be done. I mean, Jan, what, at what point of the kitchen do you really think we have reached the point of no return? So the the first the first point of no return, as you said, is the data exfiltration. If the if the attacker um, used data exfiltration, even if the encryption is not successful, he still ha hold valuable information against the client uh, to blackmail him into paying a ransom. So, um, like you said, it should be stopped in uh, optimum cases before data exfiltration happen. In in best cases, of course, before the attack before the attack happens. So we are actually talking about this credential security lateral movement. I mean, because it's usually one system. Yeah, just I'm being generous. It could be two. It's usually one system that gets hit with that web shell where the attacker with his or her black hat, whatever, trying to peep in and see what else can I access. It's just on one computer, one system. If that's the only one they encrypt, I mean, you, we, we can handle that. No, we can, but that lateral movement, if we are monitoring and checking, we'll be able to detect these things before it gets out of hand. So how do we detect ransomware? Back bit like around somewhere. I mean, all around somewhere we we know it's the same thing up to from compromise, the same old what is running in your environment, what is talking to what, what is going where, you know, detecting lateral movement, detecting process, malicious process execution, you know, programs that dump credentials, being able to detect them. So most most important, if it is suspicious uh, PowerShell commands, you know. Suspicious WMI events uh, in the environment. Suspicious group policy changes because BitLocker, like most Windows um, functions, rely a lot in the, in the domain environment, AD environment, rely a lot in the group policy. So because I, I believe usually the attackers will first of all get hold of the environment, change things to suit what they want to do. If there's anything that is in their way, they disable. If there's anything they need to enable, for example, the TPM, if you store the, key, the recovery key on the TPM, it will just reboot and no encryption. But, so they disable all of that so that only something like password encryption, password authentication would work so that they can properly hold the customers, the clients, or yeah, they, they call them their customers to ransom. So, for, for BitLocker events, particularly, we have observed several event logs that uh, if uh, monitored, although I really would recommend detecting before this stage, but just in case you have missed it all, and then you happen to see several BitLock, a BitLocker uh, API event logs, event log 769, you know, as mentioned, this will tell you that encryption will occur when the system starts. So if, if your user didn't say, oh, I detected something pop up on my screen, you've had a, you have a scene where you, you collect events, and then you see, are you monitoring any events, any, whichever way, maybe consolidated log doesn't have to be a scene, or even on, a, on your AD, you see that in your event logs, yeah, so that encryption is going to happen when the system restarts, because if the system doesn't reboot, nothing happens. You will not. The person have to successfully try to get in there. Although, and they will not be able to get in because they don't have the recovery key, they don't have the password. They did not 
you know, create the, the request the encryption. So event ID seven six nine for Bit Locker API, the management part of it. So seven nine six Bit Locker Drive encryption is using software-based encryption to protect. So it tells you that BitLocker has been activated and is in use. And then event ID 775, BitLocker key protection created. So the, 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 key, the key protector itself, that's the recovery key, it tells you that it's been protected. So look for this event ID 775. It should not happen, you know, out of nowhere. If you're not working on BitLocker, you haven't enabled BitLocker, that second, and you see that you haven't changed anything on your BitLocker setting. See that we are sure that some, someone has set up BitLocker in that environment and that and a, a, a BitLocker recovery key have been set up. In addition to that, the BitLocker prep tool will throw out or it will make a lot of noise. It will tell you event ID 4100, uh, some of these will tell you that a volume is being shrunk because it's about because the way it happens it will shrink the original volume and literally create a different uh, volume during that uh, encryption. And then if you have Sysmon in your environment, Sysmon WMI events 19-2021 can actually tell you what is going on if this was launched using WMIC remotely. You know. So if you look at the PowerShell module and skip block login. I mean, you, you just don't just be, don't happen to be there if you haven't enabled them. So event ID 4103-4104. I think Microsoft have done well in the recent operating system whereby they are automatically there. Whether you enable them, you don't have to go and enable them. But event ID 4104, if it was a PowerShell-based attack, will show you the details of what have been, you know, the script itself so that you will know what is going on and it's really not when you are under attack that you should be checking this i believe we should be checking this all the time get your trend hunters to go because this is not going to stop now people have found that more attackers are going to use this too except microsoft does something uh, quite drastic obviously the execution of any process execution uh, event like event id 4688 or, or process create for wmi or sysmon one that mentions BitLocker related, uh, you know, command line, you have to pick that up. So command line contains BitLocker, you know, detect that. So also there'll be a lot of, uh, if look for all the policy changes or group policy changes that have anything that has to do with BitLocker in it. Don't, don't let the attacker own your environment. Secure and protect your environment. And even though you have secured them, keep monitoring. Now, that is a key under secure. That is a, an event um, ID, which we don't see all the time, under security event log, event ID 5059, key migration exports. You know, like, because the key is being, that recovery key, you cannot save it on the actual volume that is being encrypted. It has to be exported. Either on USB, somewhere else on the drive, like, yeah, and if you remember what you talked about, your v, the VPN, the one you looked at recently, during that export of the key, this log event would have occurred. But unfortunately, by that time, the, the command have already completed. It's just for us to know what happened uh, in that instance. So I would also recommend looking at event ID 4732. 
So anytime a user is added to a security-enabled group, this time on a local admin group, monitor it because at that stage, encryption has not happened. You know, so it, but things are scripted so far that before we get to that encryption scripting stage, a lot have gone on in the environment. But if you detect when somebody is manipulating group membership of local admin, uh, you will be able to at least beat the attacker to their game. But my recommendation is to start at the very beginning. When a web shell is detected, monitor your IIS logs, your Apache logs. Look for web shells there. Look for suspicious PowerShell events. Look for evidence of, you know, credential dump. So, yeah, and I will hand over to you now to please uh, let our, our, our listeners know how we, they would respond to this even before they escalate to an incident response company like NTTD DFIR. So yeah, the, the first step of response is with all attacks should be to log out the attacker. So the attacker must be logged out immediately so that no further harm is, is done by, by the attacker. So um, this could mean uh, shutting down the internet connection, um, checking VPN connections, uh, turning off side-to-side -side VPNs, um, also resetting credentials for known compromised accounts. Um, so basically yeah. secure all credentials known in, in the attack. So if you're not sure, maybe you want to do a full password reset on the, on the whole environment, or you need to engage with a digital forensic and incident response team to find out more about the attack. So the next step after this is, of course, you need to know how the attacker get access to your environment so that if you turn on these or getting back to normal uh, normal business, you need to know how the attacker gets in. Otherwise, uh, he just might compromise the environment again. So the next step would be find out the compromise vector. So um, also finding out um, all the controls the attacker has bypassed and how how did he bypass those security controls to find out improvements there to fine tune them against uh, the, those kinds of attacks to be more prepared and incur, uh, increase your security posture. So after that, of course, you might already lack from from kind of uh, encrypted systems. So for for this, it's not possible to uh, decrypt them because uh, BitLocker is a strong encryption. So you need backups to um, restore the systems. So in recent attacks, we saw that the attacker might miss out some uh, data drives and only encrypted the um, C drive. So if you save data on on your uh, on a different partition, these might be still access accessible so you should check for this and um, yeah can transfer data then uh, after restoring the c partition the the operating system partition exactly so it's all about that uh, finding out the root cause really uh, because a lot of the companies uh, sometimes they are in a hurry to if they are lucky to have backup to restore backup i, I had one company subjected to attack more than once in a month 
because they were in a hurry to restore data without finding the root cause. But uh, as I mentioned before, with this BitLocker ransomware, it's an anti-forensic. So if, if if we don't have these images because we can't access the system and the, there are no logs because uh, we don't logs were not being collected, uh, you don't have a backup. I mean, what option is left for for for, for the clients or, or for the victim of this attack? Yeah, so so the worst worst case scenario which could happen if you if you don't do a proper response is that you um actually don't lock out the attacker. You starting like like Zaza said, you're starting too early with the restore before before remediating the threat. And um what could happen, the attacker then gets directly pointed to your backups and encrypt them as well. Exactly, because it's, that's if you have backup and you haven't locked out. I mean, you cannot remediate this type of attack without setting up all the perimeter, you know, everywhere. It only allow, you know, the bare minimum. Like if you are using EDR, because remember, it's a post-compromise attack. The, the ransomware is just opportunistic sometimes at the end of the day. You know, it's a post-compromise attack. Sometimes when they initiate the attack, they don't even know what they are going to get or how lucky they will get. So it's always um, very important to lock them out. I mean, if there is a, an arms dropper in your house, your first instance is to survive and then make sure they are not in your house before you start changing your locks. Okay. So, um, thank you for that, Sian. And I would say I've tried scratching my hair you know, trying to think what is the best way, because the onus is on Microsoft to sort this out. What is the best way? Like, I want to encrypt my, my, my disk because I don't want my employees to lose their, their laptops and then I lose my data out there. It's a very good security control. It's been there. And this is not new. This started way back about six, seven years ago. This bit lock around somewhere, but it's, it's like it's being resurrected now. So I think it's time for Microsoft to devise a means. I've talked about multi-factor authentication. They wouldn't want to do that because of the scripting. It will break the scripting part of it. But then I'm thinking they really need to enforce requiring a USB for the recovery key at all costs. They could do it so that you know all if if it's scripted all the recovery keys with the machine name will all go into that one USB that the, you know, that whoever is giving that BitLocker command, whoever is enabling the BitLocker to, 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 to save it on it, to have that USB disk. One way or the other, I mean, the security architects at Microsoft look into this because it's really embarrassing that people get locked out with their own tools, with tools that Microsoft made. I mean, recently Microsoft have been talking about you know, the kitten, a phosphorus team from Iran, using leveraging BitLocker to attack companies. Yes, after they're very good at finding vulnerabilities, but then they don't bother going to use any other tools that are made in Russia or US or China or any other place or any, any other criminal gang anywhere. They just leverage the one that Microsoft has developed. Microsoft themselves say it was in their report. By the way, if you are an Iranian rascal hacker, don't come after Zaza, please, because I'm just saying what I heard and what I read recently. So, anyway, um, I think uh, 
we've covered it really. We've talked about what is trending. Now we we covered why would some an attacker prefer to use BitLocker? Is an effective. I mean, there was a time Yan I was doing this investigation and the attacker made a mistake in the script he wrote. Because of that error, we were able to recover the system using the uh, shadow copies uh, on the system because they they had a configuration scripting error. There is no error with this one. There is none. Yeah. Worst case scenario, they will forget to edit that registry key where you have the ransom node. But they can drop it wherever they want. They can email it. So do you have any additional thing to add, uh, recommend, suggest for our listeners? So yeah, if, if you are in the current ransomware attack with um, BitLocker, so like we said, the, the key point is basically a shutdown. So if, this, if systems have some of the detection Sasa mentioned earlier and they seems compromised, don't reboot them, uh, disable BitLocker and get back the recovery keys you need to um, yeah, don't make it worse than it already is. Exactly. So let me repeat that. If you are able to detect on time that, uh, you know, like a oh, machine will reboot and then encryption will start. If you are able to get to that state before the encryption starts, the best thing is to quickly go and disable, use your group policy disable BitLocker, secure your environment. Now, for our, our listeners, our, our the clients, the businesses out there, I know that this is a total nightmare for all of you. It's worrying to know that you, you're, it's not just that somebody has violated the integrity of your systems, they, will lock, they lock you out, they take your customer data and they publish it. That is too much. And I know that some of you are paying the ransom, some are tempted to pay the ransom. It's not all the time you pay the ransom that you get this unlocked. No, regardless of whether it's BitLocker ransomware, whatever that type of ransom it is, it's not all the time that you get. And the fact that you are paying, it lets them tell others that, oh, this person is able to pay and they will keep coming after you. I, I wouldn't recommend, if you don't have backup, you don't have backup. But I wouldn't recommend paying this ransom to the attackers because if we stop paying them, they will stop the attacks. Look at it. Initially, they were taking only, they were encrypting. Nobody was bothered. Then they started taking the data out. Now they are doing third-party extortion, whereby if you don't pay for the encryption, they will threaten to expose the data. If you don't pay for that, they will go to your third-party supplier or third-party partner and say, because this person has refused to pay, you need to pay for your data before that is hosted by them before we release it. At the end of the day, if we stop paying the business, it will collapse. If you do decide to pay, that's your policy internal because it's well easy for me to see that here saying, oh, don't pay the ransom, you know, because you have, I haven't got much at stake, except somebody stays my earrings or my platform shoes, really, you know, that's, <laughs> that's my main concern. So, but if you do pay, don't forget that you may indirectly be enabling you know, criminals, terrorists, pedophiles, human traffickers, drug pushers, all sorts. They are empowering and enabling, enabling them, you know. I think there should be a law to stop people paying ransom, no matter what. The money that we use to pay these ransoms, if you invest one third of that in securing your environment, I think it will be better. But again, easy for me to stay here and say it. If you do have 
an attack of this nature and you don't know how to start or where to proceed because it's an anxiety, you know, driven thing, please, by all means, reach out to a DFIR company, an incident response company. At NTT, we provide this service uh, from our DFIR team. There are several others globally that you can reach out to to support you in your time of need. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cybertech Talks. And a big thank you to Zaza and Jan Eric for sharing their expertise on BitLocker ransomware attacks. Zaza was also interviewed at CrestCon UK this year. We'll share a link to watch this in the podcast show notes. We look forward to continuing to bring you more episodes with cyber experts. Make sure to subscribe and follow the podcast on Twitter and LinkedIn for further updates and highlight clips. This podcast is brought to you by Crest, an international not-for-profit membership body representing the global cybersecurity industry.